This is Control Structure, episode 89 for June 21st, 2015. Big week to everyone listening. This show has notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash CS89 to see them. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me again this week is Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Steve. Okay, let's step back for a little bit. Uh, so, 2.30 this afternoon, my dad calls me and says that he's in the hotel uh, sort of up the road from me. And I'm like, oh? He's like, yeah, uh, one of my friends had some uh, a concert tickets uh, to, for tonight. So, uh, like, if... I think he said, like, if someone else wanted to come over and use the room, he's he didn't want to s- stick around. So, might have to come over and sleep at your place tonight. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, apparently there's this uh, little-known underground band called the Rolling Stones having a concert in the in the uh, Steeler Stadium, uh, like, right now. Uh, and so, like, there's a whole bunch of people down there. And I had to pay ten bucks for parking at Station Square. Such a ripoff. That's a lot of money. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so uh, Chris uh, pledged to... Uh, uh, research adjacent events in town before he pulled anything like that again. Uh, so, hey, uh, he also said that he would send us his resume uh, because we are apparently uh, looking for a job for him. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, other stuff uh, that happened this week. Uh, how about some E3? Um, so yeah, that, that happened, uh, earlier this week, so a lot of big stuff happened there, uh, in fact, it was so big that, uh, me and Ryan, uh, did a podcast about it, so, uh, one of the exciting things is, if you recall from the last podcast, uh, Fallout 4, uh, they, uh, so Bethesda, uh, went over that in excruciating detail, and it appears that they've made SimCity in Fallout. So that's... Uh, SimCity, so meaning that the the, uh, the the buildings and such, that they put them into the game? Uh, no. So, uh, like, this world is full of junk. So you go around collecting your junk, and before you could, you know, maybe uh, make some weapons, like some special weapons if you wanted to. Uh, but it was, like, all kind of limited. Okay. But in this game, you can actually, like, build generators and lights and turrets and buildings. Uh, uh, so it's letting you actually make a city type of thing since you can make yeah, buildings and stuff. at least, like, a small settlement, even. And, uh, you know, they said that, you know, you could start a few of these and have uh, Brahmin caravans running between them. So huh. and Brahmin are the uh, two-headed cows in Fallout. So you know the idea is that you know like cows were out in the field and they absorbed too much radiation and started giving birth to two-headed cows. Okay, <laughs> so it all fits in there. Raspberry? 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 Raspberry! Raspberry! So, the Raspberry Pi 
now has a official case. Mm. Of course, it's had cases all along, wooden cases, Lego cases, plastic cases, Acrylic all kinds cases. of cases. What? Acrylic cases. And pretty much any case you can imagine. Yeah. But now the uh, Pi Foundation has an official case. It looks kind of neat, too. It has, uh, has like these white panel things that you can slide on and off to cover up more of the electronics or less of the electronics. So if you wanted to make it more or less scary to someone, you could uh, cover more areas up. So it's kind of an interesting idea. And it's uh, keeping in well with the uh, philosophy of the Pi Foundation to keep things pretty cheap. So it's supposed to be like an American dollar, dollars, eight dollars and sixty cents, which isn't too bad for a case. Hey, Seems that's that that's almost nine dollars, like the price of that other computer. Yeah, it is almost like uh, that that other computer. Of course, the other one it doesn't come with a case, so you still have to buy a case. But I think I think the case uh, goes well with what the Pi is, though, because they made the Pi for kids that can't afford computers mm-hmm. to learn programming, and so I think this steps them in that direction. Whereas Chip is uh, again going more the embedded direction. And uh, so they have two different uh, goals. They just happen to kind of be similar. So BlackBerry? BlackBerry? BlackBerry! 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 So, uh, hey, that's probably something that you haven't heard in a very long time. And we normally don't cover such gadget news, but we thought we'd be old school every so often. So BlackBerry is at least considering to release an Android phone. So this is uh, in response to its much-touted BlackBerry 10 operating system that you know was delayed for a very long time and eventually came out mm, two years ago, I think. Uh, but like pretty much everything that they have nowadays, it has not caught the world on fire. Uh, so they're thinking about changing things up a little bit and releasing an Android phone with, of course, the usual trademark uh, BlackBerry physical keyboard on it. Uh, the particular one they're thinking about, it has a slide-out keyboard. So I, th- I think that this would probably be a very good move for them. I think it does make sense because instead of having to reinvent the wheel for them, they can let uh, the community build the core system, and then they can uh, focus on their hardware and any apps that make them special, but it, it seems it's good to be standard and like you pick up all the apps and things. I'm, I mean, I don't know much about the BlackBerry as far as like what they have for programs and such. But um, if you think that the Windows Phone Store is pathetic, uh, BlackBerry is more pathetic. Okay, so that that tells you right there then that uh, Android is a pretty good step. Yes, there's a lot of apps out there for Android. I have an Android phone and. You go search for different things. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a metal detector app out there. And I had someone told me once that it actually works. Don't quite know how, but supposedly it works. Hmm. So, uh, hey, we were talking about games there a second ago. Uh, game development has changed quite a bit in the past few decades. Uh, one of the people behind Crash Bandicoot details the lengths that he went through to optimize paging and RAM. Uh, So, just as a little bit of background, the PlayStation 1 had only 2 megabytes of RAM in it. So, that's going to limit you quite a bit. Uh, So, 
uh, you know, going going back there, it only had a CD to read off of, and you know, generally it had a very large capacity. Uh, but the read speeds were kind of slow, and uh, you know, they needed to read off of the disc uh, and into RAM and like load all the data without having it stutter, uh, and you know, just keep a constant frame rate. So uh, Dave Baggett here uh, goes over some of the details. Uh, apparently the other programmer he was working with was writing a uh, paging system to load in 64K blocks. Uh, and uh, they also uh, you know, had to optimize the size of the code so it would fit into RAM. Uh, so you know, they would you know reuse variables and such and uh like they would essentially iterate on on it and uh you know you know take out you know a couple of bytes at a time and ultimately it fit into memory with four bytes to spare it seemed like you were talking about like the paging and the packaging it sounded like there's something with his his uh he had something that he was doing and just when they were they were talking like the artist changing a graphic or something, and it would mess up how it was packaged. So yeah. he had to like randomly change other parts of it just to try and make a arrangement that would fit and package up nicely and cleanly. It was kind of interesting. Like you could tell how much pain that was to develop. Like that was not just like, oh, this doesn't work. It's broken. It's like it works, but it doesn't package up. Like we have technical limitations, and you just gotta keep playing with it till you make it work very impressive yes so uh how about let's go on to something a little bit more uh secure or at least in theory secure how about LastPass? Uh, LastPass is one of those uh password storage systems that uh you know you can supposedly have random passwords uh different for each kind of uh site you visit and service that you use and uh, you can protect it just by one master strong password. Uh, but LastPass uh, has, you know, has an option for you to store everything in the cloud. Uh, so this past week, they had a terrible uh, security breach. Uh, so due to the how the way that they hash everything, uh, both client side and server side. Uh, that none of the master passwords were taken. Uh, furthermore, like none of the actual encrypted data was taken. Uh, but uh, apparently, some uh, emails and uh, what should call it? Password phrases. Uh, yeah, like password reminders uh, yep. were taken. Uh, so you know, it seems like they you know architected their system quite well. And it looks like they handle this quite well. That's impression I got, like, reading through this, like, saying, like, this and that happened. But you know what, we're good because we had, uh, was the one was, like, they had, like, 10,000 iterations of their hashing. It's like, so this is going to take a long time to break that anyways. And, like, they'd have to, you know, the brute force is going to take a while to try each and every single one. Mainly what it boiled down to is they were saying that if you had a terrible password as far as your master password, like, password one two three or something really stupid like that you might be in trouble but as long as you had a good password chosen you're probably in good shape so uh this is the exact situation that made me want to use key pass instead uh which is an offline uh password storage 
uh, you know, password uh, manager and it stores everything offline uh, that is not in the cloud uh, unless you somehow uh, get the database, the encrypted database file and put it on like Google Drive or something. KeePass is what I use too, and I actually do have it on a a cloud hosting service, but as in like a drive, uh, I actually have Dropbox is what I use it with. And I think I'm good with that level because the KeePass itself is a different service and it's like encrypted. Mm-hmm. So while Dropbox did have their issue the one time with just letting anyone into any account, it's not secure from that point of view, but the passwords are secure because they're under the encryption. That's, and the key thing there is it's got the local stored on basically all of my computers. When I turn them on, they get the latest of it. So it's a different thing from an online cloud storage where you may just suddenly close down and all of your passwords close down with it instead i'm the controller of it yeah and i i imagine that uh last pass also has some sort of offline storage also so you know it wouldn't be the end of the world if they shut down hopefully that would that would almost have to be a must i mean i've never looked into them before but like <laughs> you can't have them shutting down yeah it's like, no my passwords well speaking of uh cloud stuff uh as of july 7th there won't be a skype for modern ui good for steven yes that that is good for me because i really hate the skype on windows 8 the way they have that that modern uh all one app thing it is uh when i was reading through the article they're saying about how it's easier to use and to add groups to people and see what's going on it is it's way easier to use the uh, windowed one than it is their new modern the uh the desktop application rather than the modern application so although you know granted i do like some of the ideas and some of the design on the modern stuff you know it's you know some other uh features make it in you know like not suitable for desktop use Sometimes they try to make it too simple, which simple can be good. Like if you you have a stupid user that doesn't know how to use it or if you're trying to cater to like a touch screen and just make it easy to use and swipe and things like that, that's great. But uh, sometimes you need the extra features and it's good to have that. Yeah. Plus so- it's nice having windows to size and move around too. It is <laughs> windows after all. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to be using. So, hey, speaking about uh, dumb users, uh, programming sucks. Uh, so I, I kind of really like this blog post uh, because it sort of like goes through all the futility that engineers have to go through in order to make things just work. And, uh, you know, in fact, the very top image of this blog post says, Catastrophic error. User attempted to use program in the manner intended. Options, erase computer, or weep. <laughs> I, I, I did like the article because the guy, guy does point out that uh, from some people's perspective, programming is just like this magical thing that's really easy to do. And all work, I think, is hard to do. Like if it, I mean, certain people are better at doing certain things, but it is harder. Still, it's not easy to do all the time. Sometimes it is, but not all the time. Uh, he had a few interesting quotes in there I liked. One was, it says, doing this all day leaves you in a state of mild, ap- I don't know how to say the word, apahe- aphasia, aphasia, I think. Aphasia, I'll have to Google that one later to see what that means. 
as you look at people's faces while they're speaking, and you don't know what, know when, and you don't know they finished because there's no semicolon. And then uh, later in the article, he says, "All programmers are forcing their brains to do things brains were not never meant to do in a situation they can never make better." Ten to fifteen hours a day, five to seven days a week, and every one of them is slowly going mad. Okay, aphasia is the partial or total loss of the ability to articulate ideas or comprehend spoken or written language, resulting from the damage of the brain caused by injury or disease, or in mm. this case, programming. <laughs> so, and uh, also, also the quote where, uh, you know, like every friend I have that... Uh, you know, needs to pick up something heavier than a laptop more than twice a week, uh, eventually finds a way to slip something like this into a conversation. Bro, you don't work hard. I just worked a 4,700-hour work week digging a tunnel under Mordor with a screwdriver. Yeah, that was, that was funny. There's there's different types of work, and so some stuff is physically demanding, but then, I mean, I've seen some that sometimes the physically demanding jobs have break times and, and and areas in the job where you might be spending a couple hours not doing much of anything at all just because there's something else where it's like in the development I found most of the time you spend the whole day thinking really hard. Yeah. So let's go on to something a little bit more serious now. Uh, someone who knew the Boston Marathon bombers was prosecuted for clearing his browser history in cash. Uh, so... This guy apparently had uh, dinner with the Sarnayev brothers uh, in the week leading up to the bombings. And uh, so, you know, he came forward with some information. And, you know, he apparently, you know, meant, you know, talked to the police, of course. Uh, you know, and he may have lied about a few things. Uh, maybe he was just confused. Then he, then when he got back home, he cleared his internet browser history. Uh, so they uh, apparently charged him for destroying documents that may be related to, you know, investigation. You know, essentially destruction of evidence, stuff like that. They think he deleted videos, too, was another thing they said. So, yeah, so federal prosecutors charged Matinov for destroying records under the Sarbanes-Oxley Act a law enacted by Congress in the wake of Enron. The law was, in part, intended to prohibit corporations under federal investigation from shredding incriminating documents. But since Sarbanes-Oxley was passed in 2002, federal prosecutors have applied the law to a wider range of activities. A police officer in Colorado who falsified a report to cover up a brutality case was convicted under the act, as was a woman in Illinois who destroyed her boyfriend's kitty porn. Sorry. So, so Sorry. you know, this is just a uh, uh, you know a instance of a law being interpreted more broadly than was anticipated. Yeah, it, I think it is too uh, broad, and also too. I think it kind of goes against the Fifth Amendment because it seems like I was just looking at the text of the Fifth Amendment there, and it says like halfway through it says, "Nor should be compelled in any criminal case to witness against himself," and so it's. If yeah. you if you're gonna get in trouble for doing something you may or may not have intentionally done as a way to hide, like I mean, clearing his browser cache, maybe he had something to hide. 
but maybe he was just clearing his browser cache. That could have been what was happening. Yeah, like all of my browsers, I do not have history enabled. Yeah, so so what if suddenly, for some reason, the police suspect you of doing something, and so now they confiscate your computer, they're looking for evidence for whatever reason, and they see that you've been clearing your browser history. They're like, aha, guilty. And they don't know, though, because it's deleted and it's gone now. Yeah, uh, and and then, like, I've also read in other articles that, like, you know, as you said, browser cache, that, you know, clearing the cache is just a normal part of operation. Yep. You know, like, some things need to be deleted in order to, you know, move in with new stuff. By definition, it's supposed to go away at some point in time. And and also uh, the trim command on solid-state drives, too. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I noticed in this article, is this guy... They don't aren't really holding him on anything of such to speak of, other than this thing of him having deleted stuff on his computer. That seemed to be the main thing they're holding him on. Now, like at first, when they said right after the bombings, he went and reported him to the police and said, "Hey, you know, I'm friends with him, and I just had dinner with him." He obviously knew he was going to be checked out, so he he stepped forwards and uh, initiated the contact there, and he did lie. Maybe it was in pur- purpose. Maybe it was just he was, you know, like he said, just under confused. pressure under pressure yep people do that too and they yeah. might be going away to jail for a very very long time i'm sure you could be nervous yeah but yeah i mean maybe it, it's hard to say but uh I, I i feel like the uh what's the word i want the spirit of what the fifth amendment is if you're gonna get into trouble for something like that i think that kind of goes against kind of what they had in mind there like yeah, there needs to be other evidence than just suspicion. Yeah, yeah, that you're looking like you were hiding something isn't cause to show that you're hiding something, especially with digital stuff. It's really hard to prove if someone does a good job of deleting something that's digital, it's really hard to prove that they had it and what they had before they deleted it. Mm-hmm. If, assuming it's actually gone, gone. Like you, Sometimes you can undelete stuff, but if it's gone, gone, you can't undelete it. So how do you know? And like they had mentioned videos. Well, they didn't say what kind of videos, so who knows what it was or who knows that it even was videos. Maybe maybe he had been editing some video for something else and had some legitimate video on it and he just deleted it. And it could have been a legitimate thing that he had done, but they're taking it and making it look to be a bad thing. And you don't just don't really know. Yeah. So, uh, moving on here, uh, at the beginning of the month, uh, Michael Steinbeck, I think it, uh, it is, uh, some, uh, FBI director of some division, uh, spoke during, uh, you know, like a session of Congress and claimed that companies should prevent encryption above all else. And I'm pretty sure we've covered this topic before where... Uh, like the federal prosecutors and investigators and stuff, they don't want things to be encrypted because that makes their job harder. Uh, so, uh, in fact, oh yeah, here's here's a good quote here. Privacy, above all other things, including safety and freedom from terrorism, is not where we want to go. Uh, he disputed the backdoor term used by experts to describe such a built-in access points for the government. We're not looking at going through a back door or being nefarious, he said, uh, which is not the way things are built. Um, 
but apparently Microsoft did not get that memo. Uh, Bing is going all HTTPS. So, like, once you hit bing.com, you know, you're always encrypted. Uh, th- uh, they finally followed Google in this, along with several other uh, big-name companies, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter, of course, along with several others. Uh, and I believe Reddit recently switched over to HTTPS recently. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, when when I was thinking about Bing going to HTTPS, I was like, hasn't Google been there, like, for a long time? Yeah. Uh, so, and this was even said as the U.S. government is working on moving completely to HTTPS. So, I remember reading an article about this, uh, I think it might have been last week, that it had actually been completed, but apparently... Uh, the deadline is, I think, yeah, December 31st, 2016. Um, yeah, the White House recently uh, went over to, uh, you know, all HTTPS also uh, pretty recently. So, like, one of the main arguments is you know, this, you know, helps to protect whistleblowers. So, like, if all the government websites are encrypted, then, you know, like, someone can't, you know, eavesdrop on that. And uh, at least in theory can't eavesdrop on, you know, anything. I see. Nah, sounds like a good idea. I mean, it. I, I think when it comes to encryption and stuff like that, it's better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's going to slow down your processing time, maybe a little bit, but not I, that much. Oh, not even perceptibly. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's where I was going with that. I know, mean, granted, granted, it depends on where you are in the world and a few other things, but you know, there, there's something, there's something that's happening somewhere. So it is you're executing more code, yes, but it's, uh, it's more about are so fast. It's more about network lag than processing time nowadays. So it's you know it's not you know the computational resources required. You know, especially if you know it's just on. You know, your client machine, you know, like if you're just using your laptop or something, that it wouldn't be a big deal. I could see maybe on some lower end mobile devices, it might be a more noticeable thing, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I used to have an older Android phone. It was kind of like you load a page and some a lot of things would lag pretty good in it. And I would say on a phone like that, you might notice it. But even still, I think it's uh, worth it just because most devices aren't going to have that issue. And like I said, it's better to be safe than sorry. If you can have it, you may as well turn it on and use it. So uh, apparently everyone will be able to turn it on and use it. Uh, The Let's Encrypt project announced some launch schedules. Uh, So apparently uh, they're aiming for general availability to be the week of September 14th. So, I uh, believe it was last podcast we had mentioned that they had actually generated the root uh, keys and certificates. Uh, so they will be issuing the first certificates from those uh, on around July 27th. Uh, so that's like sort of more of like a beta program, I guess. Uh, so like they only only be doing a limited amount then to like make sure everything works properly. That makes sense. Before your your big go live date, you find out if something horribly is wrong. Yep. So uh, this will be a huge boon to uh, uh, you know people who you know really want to encrypt, but you know don't actually feel safe about paying someone to do so. 
because <laughs> you know it's you know sort of easy to mess up. Yeah, this looks like a a, a good thing that uh, is happening. So let's go to some appreciate and deprecate. Tell us where you were. So uh, let me think. Wasn't last? Yeah, it would be last Saturday, one week ago. I went to the Pittsburgh Tech Fest up at uh, La Roche College, is where it was at. Uh, I've been there a couple of years now, uh, like three, I guess. Uh, it's pretty good. They have a lot of uh, speakers come in, just people in the industry within Pittsburgh, uh, software developers, and. and uh, talk about various topics uh this year some of the talks i attended uh, there's one in angler js the guy who just did a high level talk and then he had a, another talk towards the end of the day that was about uh just the different javascript frameworks and which ones are kind of big right now and which ones are dead and you probably shouldn't uh start new projects with those ones uh, one interesting thing that the man had mentioned was he said you know with the there's so many new frameworks out there today that a good test, if you're thinking about using a framework, is the Stack Overflow test. And so he said, you search the the framework on Stack Overflow, and if you find no questions, that's really bad. If you find questions that are unanswered, it means it's kind of more common, but is not super common. And uh, if you find questions with lots of answers, then you're probably it's a pretty well supported one. Of course, so like he said, it could be it's just so new that no one's ask questions but that also means you're kind of on your own and figuring it out yeah you know the there's new like i believe you even said this that there are new javascript frameworks like every hour yeah he had a statistic on that and it was it was it was like seven or ten or so it was some number it was like a lot of them you know very often that they were coming out with it so you get a lot of that uh there's it's a lot of good talks there at the, the tech fest though you have I, like with each session it's like an hour and a half or something like that long you have like a bunch of them throughout the day but there's probably four or five choices for each time slot that you can choose from and so it, you get to the point with some time slots it's like well i like this one but i want to go to this one and so it, it's that good that you're you're having trouble choosing between the different sessions I'm trying to think of the other one i did one on uh forget the title of it but the guy was talking just like in general like the agile process of you know peer programming and like code reviews and like his approach and mentality behind those things it was really good like his 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 general philosophy on things it was interesting to hear him talk about it and then i went to one about uh unorthodox agile and news that lady was talking about the different styles of agile of course you have uh you know, kanban you have scrum uh, a couple other ones which I forget the names of and so she kind of went through the different pros and cons of each which was good because I hadn't really heard 
people mentioning the pros and cons very much before. So that was that was good to see that. And one interesting thing that she mentioned for Scrum, which I'm just kind of recently seeing at work, is she said for Scrum to really make the work good, you need a very good product owner that understands what the customer needs and uh, can help drive that and make that work. And that's something like at work we got a product owner recently and she's really good at driving the, what what's needed and uh, helping us along. And so I, 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 it was interesting seeing that and uh, thinking about her, I could see that we had a good product owner. Uh, so, oh, right. And I went to a Internet of Things talk. That, that was, of course, I went to that one. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was good. The guy actually runs his own business. Uh, he's making this thing that you put a valve, an electronic valve on your water main coming to the house. Then you have a sensor on your water meter. So it's like your water meter has magnets that spin inside. Mm-hmm. And he had temperature sensors down in the basement. And so the idea was if the water meter suddenly starts spinning really, really, really fast, pretty good chance of pipe broke. So probably a good idea to shut off the water. <laughs> then also, too, if the temperature in the basement got below freezing, the assumption is probably your pipes just froze and mm-hmm. they unfreeze. They're probably going to make a really big mess. So that's another scenario when he goes in and shuts the water off using his Internet of Things uh, thing. So that that was interesting to hear his talk. He went over like uh, some high level, uh, you know, how, how Internet of Things works, some background history of Internet of Things, and uh, talked about like the security like of stuff. So I guess a good example was um, just like the different each layer. So like your device is a layer, and of course like your website or something like that's a layer. So that, that was that was interesting hearing. Uh, so yeah, it was a good time. I've had other years a lot of interesting talks. Uh, last year, the one that stood out in my mind, a guy talked about uh, Raspberry Pis and mini ro- like robots and stuff you can buy and program and stuff. So always good stuff there. Very good time. You get a, the. $10 registration comes with a meal and a t-shirt. So it actually is a pretty good deal overall. Worth worth my time. Hmm. So. So, uh, do you hate I, anything? I do hate something. I hate the OneNote sharing feature. So in the Google Docs, which we're using right now, if I highlight something or click on something, hey, what are you doing? comes up and it's like, hey, Yo, yeah, it shows my doing something. I start typing. It just happens, and uh, which is really nice because I can work on this document with you at the same time. I know what you're doing. You know what I'm doing. It works great. Well, with Google OneNote or not Google with Microsoft OneNote, uh, it shares the things together. But the trouble is, I found is the updates happen like a couple of minutes after something happens. And so you can do the same edit at the same time, which I actually had happen with me the other day with a guy at work. And then it gets this conflict thing and it makes a whole nother document. It can't merge them. Can you believe that? It can't merge them. It makes wow. a whole nother document. It's like, hey, something happened. It's broken. We just made another document of the changes so you don't lose anything. It's like, oh, thanks. That's nice of you. And it's it was not very good at all. How uh, unhelpful of you. I know. It's, I mean, at least it's preserving the data. I get that, but... Really, if, if they could make it real-time, like Google has made Google Docs real-time, you wouldn't have had that merge problem at all. And 
even with that aside, I bet there is a way to merge it if you actually spent some time to figure it out. So, not super impressed. One note, though, is kind of handy, but uh, not all that impressive for sharing. So, uh, this week we do not have any feedback, but if you would like to send any feedback that we can answer on, on the show, uh, you can do so at our show notes page. There's a link right there. And uh, you can ask us questions. So uh, don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff. And hi, Dad. How you doing? So, uh, yeah. Uh, what do you plan on doing? Uh, so let's see here. This is Saturday. Hmm. Probably. Oh, I know. Good one. Uh, so the Science Center down in Pittsburgh, they... Uh, have a get in for free day tomorrow if you bring a snowball in uh you get it to get to get in for free so that's actually something i'm going down with my family a snowball yeah a snowball you just bring in it so, so the idea was back in the winter time you're supposed to stick it in your freezer and, and save it and you bring it in a cooler yeah because obviously there's no snow right now i'm like uh, i'm like wait is that like an actual literal snowball yes it is a literal snowball so yeah you get in for free to the science center tomorrow with a snowball. So, yep. So, that's that's hopefully the plans for tomorrow. I yeah. think you're supposed to throw it off the submarine uh, once you get in. So, hmm, that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, let's see. I might have to deal with my dad coming by. Um, let's see. And, like, as, as I said, I'm sort of, you know, bit by the development bug in my spare time. So, I'm doing that uh, prayer tracker thing. And, uh, let's see. Yeah, I might be upgrading my uh, server a little bit, at least my web server. Uh, so hopefully that will uh, go smoothly. And, uh, oh, yeah, I believe I told you this yesterday. Uh, but when I was coming home from work yesterday, I saw a very odd group along the side of the road. I saw three turkeys, three ducks, and two chickens. They were just all in a group, and they were just hanging out by the side of the road. Like, I actually had to stop because one of the ducks had wandered into the road. Uh, but, yeah, interesting. And far as I know, there's not a farm on that road at all. So it seemed like they were, like, you know, had run away from home or whatever. Must have. Uh, in the uh, front of my office, there's some flower beds. Uh, let's see, I... You, you, you've been there, but, like, we didn't actually go up towards the door. But, like, there's some flower beds there. And for about the past, what, about two weeks or so, there have, uh, about four stalks of corn have shot up from the flower bed. Hey, and, I guess. How, how tall are they getting? Uh, they're a good two, maybe three feet. Okay. That's pretty uh, So, uh, me and the other graphic designer... Uh, he, you know, we were sort of wondering, like, how they got there. And it's pretty much consensus because, like, there's deer, like, all around that area. So, like, some deer must have come up and crapped some seeds right there. That's a possibility. So, uh, th- there sounds like they're doing pretty good, so you might get corn off of them this year sometime, then. Yeah, I'm not going to eat flower bed corn from, like, an office building. Eh, it's probably won't hurt you none. Our corn's actually doing pretty good this year. Uh, they say, the saying is around here that if your corn's knee-high by 4th of July, 
You're doing pretty good? I think they say that everywhere. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so so I've, I've only grown corn here, so this is where I knew. Anyways, so yeah, our corn's already knee-high in places, so it's, uh, it's doing well. All this rain and thunder and such is uh, really helping those things along. Yeah, it's been raining here almost nonstop for about two weeks. So... Alright, well, aside from that, I think that's it, so have a good one. You too.